Hey friends, this is Jody Kiracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. In this episode, I'm excited to introduce you to Kimberly Logston, whose story is sure to equip and inspire you in your walk with the Lord. When I think of Kimberly, I think of a worshiper, a consummate businesswoman who has been a managing consultant at IBM, a senior manager at Acumen Solutions, an associate at Booz Allen Hamilton, and an executive director for CareNet Peninsula. Among other things, Kimberly has led with skill and integrity. But then God called her into something very, very different, something that has required her to put all her trust in him. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the patriarchs of faith at altars of worship during key moments in their walk with the Lord, and Kimberly has also. She's learned Romans 12, 1, which says, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Listen for this type of worship. As Kimberly shares, she has quite a story. Welcome, Kimberly. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. You went to church as you were growing up, but you didn't encounter God in a personal way until you were an adult. Give us some background on what caused you to start seeking him? You know, I was raised in church. I was in a, a mainstream liturgical denomination and, you know, went to Sunday school and my parents had me there every Sunday. But I guess I believed in Jesus like I believe in Christopher Columbus, that he was out there somewhere. But truthfully, as I got older, I, I didn't think about him that much. Perhaps in a moment of crisis, I would pray, but I didn't have any personal relationship or or personal practice, and I drifted like many people do in college, being exposed to different things, finding my, you know, my own way. I ended up um, getting married pretty young and just the wounds of, of my own family dynamics, just the wounds that we encounter in life. I was someone that became really an overachiever, and performance was the yardstick that I measured myself with. And anyone else who has that in their experience can know that as you go through life, it's very hard to just keep living that way. So I married somebody who was not a believer, who was older than me. I'm climbing the corporate ladder because employers love people that are overachievers and are willing to work long hours. And and so things, it was kind of, over time, it was starting to be a mask and I was feeling like I was bluffing. So I had my own internal brokenness that wasn't being dealt with. And very quickly in the first year of my marriage, I realized I'd made a a very bad mistake with that, but felt I'd made a vow. And so um, I had a marriage that was shipwrecked and just kind of, that's the place where I was. I'll also say that in that place of pride, you know, before the, before I met the Lord, uh, it produced a lot of cynicism in me. Mm. I think that's that critical spirit that you feel like if I'm going to be successful, if you're working out of performance orientation without the goodness of God and his generosity, you can be critical of other people. And so I mocked born again people. I called them holy rollers. I I just, you know, I'd met some and just thought they are really crazy. So that's where I was, uh, you know, married in my, my twenties and uh, it was miserable, huh? (laughs) Miserable. I let that go for a decade in both, a miserable, very emotionally distant marriage, and also climbing up the corporate ladder and and having bosses push me up the ladder, but inside just feeling like a fake. But you finally had a supernatural encounter with the Lord one night. Mm -hmm. 
Can you share about that and how it changed your life? I mean, were you even seeking at that time? I can look back and I can say God's fingerprints were all over me. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was seeking. I was in my early 30s. I had a daughter who was six years old and, and I thought, you know, church was good for moral, like it's a good thing to do. I remember I had good memories of that. So I started going back to church to get her in Sunday school. And the Lord knew I was back in a place that I was being exposed to the word again in a place that might not evangelical, but I was hearing the word every week. And also my anxiety was really increasing to the point of um, everything pressing on every angle where I just couldn't keep up with the pressure trying to do it myself and feeling like I needed or I'd be a failure if I didn't manage everything, work, uh, parenting, my marriage. And so one night, literally, and actually I didn't tell you this earlier, I was even driving home and there was this one curve in the road where there were some Jersey walls. And I started thinking, if I just hit the accelerator and went straight and hit that, would it kill me or would it just maim me? That was the point I was at of just nervous, almost nervous breakdown. And I was home one evening. It was getting dark. I remember for some reason I was sitting on my bed, fully clothed. No one else was in that, in the house. And I was just crying. I felt like I don't know where to turn. I have no escape. And I heard in my head, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. Uh, my burden is light, you know, and I will refresh you. My yoke is easy. And I knew that was scripture. I didn't read the Bible, but I knew it was scripture. And in, a, in an instant, I thought, huh, I wonder if that's true. I knew it was Jesus. And I think because I'd been back at church, I'd the Holy Spirit was speaking again, so at least exposing me to his word. And in that split second, I also thought, well, if that's true, Jesus, where have you been? As I say, in probably the truest prayer I'd ever prayed, I literally lifted my fist to the ceiling out loud and double dog dared Jesus and said, if you're real, if you can take this, if you're real, take this anxiety off of me. And bam, peace just dropped on me suddenly like I remember patting my chest because it was gone all the aching in my joints all the cortisol everything just in a moment and I realized you're real it scared me and without knowing what a salvation prayer was Holy Spirit led me through a prayer without me even knowing what that was I just realized if you're real then I've trampled you Jesus I'm so sorry please forgive me I just knew in that moment unmistakably that he was real and I said, I want to give you my life. And I knew I had a Bible somewhere in the house. I think I had a, I thought, oh, I have a gift one in a box up in the top of my closet. Now I'm in my early thirties. I didn't know I was being born again. I had no vocabulary for that, but I found the Bible that I had tried to read before good overachiever that I was starting at Genesis and maybe <laughs> getting up to Deuteronomy or maybe even Leviticus before I thought this is too hard. But that night I opened it up. And as I started reading it, I just realized, wow, these are love letters and everything's been different since then. Mm. So as you were pursuing God now and growing in the Lord, your husband at the same time was not. In fact, things were getting worse. Your marriage and family finally ended in divorce. Where was God in that? And how did you, how did that shape your faith? Yeah, there was probably another seven or eight years where I think um, as I started realizing that I just had this, I was in love with Jesus and I could talk to him and start to have a prayer life. I was able to tell him everything. And I started telling him all these things like, don't you see my husband over there? Like get him on board. And the Lord really a a primary message in those early days was gently. He said, 
let's let's take care of the log in your own eye. I think that those years he really worked with discipleship with me. Um, I was ready to do something for him. I kept saying, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? And I felt like in prayer, he said, I want you to worship me. And I'd say, well, I know, but what do you want me to do for you? Like, I didn't know that I really knew people like me that were headlong in love with Jesus. I should probably go join a monastery or become a priest. I didn't know. <laughs> and he kept saying, I want you to worship me. And in that worship, there was a a laying down of things, you know? And, and I think part of what I learned in that time too is, as I was being discipled and starting to meet more people who did know Jesus, which is a good thing to do. If you don't know him, be in the word and find other people that seem to know him. I had some people that said, you just need to submit to your husband. And so I learned things from that, that, well, the Bible actually says to be mutually submitted and in an abusive relationship, as I tried to walk that out, it just actually increased the abuse. I think I learned a lot about the word and being able to turn to the Lord and seek his, to have counsel, but to seek his counsel and the counsel of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately I separated just to get my daughter and I to a safe place. You know, my husband decided to file for divorce. I just needed for us to be safe. Yeah, that was a lot of what the Lord was working. It was my own knowledge of him and, and taking my stony heart and making it soft flesh, even while it felt like I was under attack, even as um, my husband at the time, he did notice the change in me, but he also started saying, you know, you're, this is really crazy. Like, you know, it was not something that he was, he's still to this day, many years later has still not yet has not received Jesus as his yeah. Lord. He wasn't embracing it. So the Lord released you from that in, in, mm -hmm. in some way. So now you're a single working mom. Mm -hmm. You had a good job. You were trying to raise your daughter and help her heal from the past trauma of, you know, as every child of divorce mm -hmm. has some wounds, what was going on in your life and, mm -hmm. and what was God saying to you and showing to you as a single mom and mm -hmm. a working mom and the pressures of life? Mm -hmm. I did. I was up in the DC area, a management consultant, I think in the workplace, it was just learning to be, what does it look like to be a servant leader? And that I didn't see a lot of that <laughs> often working with the military, with military <clears throat> clients where it's hierarchy and power. And so the Lord was doing a lot in my life with that. Uh, divorce is death. It just is. Sometimes that was the, the Lord has redeemed that in my life. And he, he has ministered to me in that, but I had an angry, rightfully angry daughter who it was, you know, bad in one situation and bad in the other. So just, yeah, inner healing. And um, I think I, I think the Lord was trying to teach me a lot about mercy. And also, you know, this is just occurring to me right now, but, but integration to be one person all the time. Mm. I really, you know, it's a process. We get, we meet the Lord and he radically changes us. He gives us a new nature, um, but our ways and our thinking take time to change. And I had one, one Kimberly at work and a different Kimberly as a mom and a different Kimberly at church on the prayer team. And, you know, there was a point in that where I started serving in a ministry, actually a hospice and hospital ministry where I realized, wow, it was a radical idea. I need to be one person all the time and let the chips fall for Jesus. So that's a lot of what he was working in all those various environments. It was a uh, almost like an explorer. I was having to figure out this new nature and growing my trust in the Lord 
to not apologize for Jesus, to trust him. And um, I did see, I did both in my daughter's life, in my, with my workplace colleagues, I did see that that brought change and people did notice that uh, there was something different about me. Yeah, it says in the word that <clears throat> the Holy Spirit will renew our minds. And um, we think that that can be, you know, the same way for everybody, but he does it differently with each of us. He brings us each to those points where radical change of thinking occurs. Mm -hmm. And for you, it was, I mean, God brought you to another breaking point. Mm -hmm. I mean, pretty much yeah. your life was too much. So mm -hmm. can, can you share about that and, mm -hmm. and the renewing that God did even in that situation? Yeah. I don't know if anyone listening to this can identify, but Holy Spirit We'll try to suggest a path, but sometimes we keep uh, barreling on. And with someone that has performance orientation as a, a rut where my wagon heel wheels would often go back to and still do. I still have to watch that. I kept thinking, I can do it. I can do it. So here I was, a, a mother of a teenager um, in a, a very expensive place to live. I was managing 150 people, $320 million job, like commuting an hour and a half each way. It was just, everything was still high, high pressure, even with prayer. I was still, I think, trying, I, I know, trying to rely on my own strength. And the Lord let me hit the wall at 200 miles per hour. I was on a project where I was commuting down to DC. And again, my, my nerves as a born again, saved person were so great that I'd take the Metro in and I'd get off at a station and throw up in a trash can and then get back on the train and go to work. Just trying to, in my mind, I think not fail because so much had seemed my marriage had failed. So I was still holding on to performance and I, I can look back and I can see that the Lord was inviting me to lay some things down, but I kept pressing on. And one day I came into work, we were doing a big, huge software development project and they had the client had changed the telephone system overnight and next to every phone they had a little sheet like you may have seen if you go into a workplace it's like you know you need to record a new message seven steps very simple step one pick up the handset step two press pound and I started doing it and by the time I got to step three suddenly it was just hash marks on the page they weren't words anymore and I realized something was happening in my brain um, it scared me I was in my suit you know, managing a bunch of people downtown, an, you know, an hour and a half from home by Metro. And that's when something broke. And I realized I really am in over my head. And I think I had felt at the time, of course, I talked to my boss and I went home and they put me on medical leave for 10 weeks. And I was already in counseling with a Christian counselor. I had things that went all the way back to my childhood. Again, this renewed mind. I was a new person, but there were things that I just think that God was jealous. He's jealous for healing for all of us. Mm. And I felt like there was grief and wounds that were like big iron doors. That's what I felt like. If you could almost imagine like three stories high and water pressing against the back of them. And I thought if I start crying or if I start grieving, those floodgates are going to open and I will never be able to get it all back in. Like, I don't know how I'll function. And that's what needed to happen. Sometimes people say, well, can... Uh, born again, people can't be depressed. They can. We're mysteriously and wonderfully made. And at that point, I think a lot of things, just the body chemistry of my body and just still trying to do things in my, my old man way, the Lord in his grace, let me hit the wall. 
Mm. And it's truly one of the most humbling. I had people say, well, you probably won't have a career in management consulting after this, you know, like this is a big stigma. Sheila Walsh was a huge minister. If you don't know about her ministry in the 700 club and walking through depression, she said things that made such sense to me, but it was a time for me to grieve and to make a big blubbery mess of it. And I was different after that. The Lord brought freedom in a different way than I had ever had in my life. It came through a painful way. Something that Sheila Walsh said, I remember from that time is God gives good gifts. Sometimes untying the bow they come in will cause your fingers to bleed. And that was really a description of that time. So here I am at this point, you know, being discipled, having been walking with the Lord for 10 years and being a a put together woman. And I was still having to address wounds. That's the only way through to healing is to go straight through it. So you went back to work, but then God led you to another altar of worship, another place of laying down your own plans, your own agendas. What did he do with you after that? Boy, did he. I was living in Northern Virginia. My family was down in Hampton Roads in Virginia Beach. And I'd been thinking, you know, after that experience, how do I get out of the rat race? And again, I think there's always a tension of he's given us a sound mind so we can look to plan, but he will move in it. And I had been visiting my folks at Christmas and they said, what about down here in Virginia Beach? Well, that had never occurred to me. And I got very excited at the time. It was when the housing market in 2008 was very bad. And I owned what I called an apartment set on land, this little house up there. And so I just said to the Lord, well, if this is you rather than me, I'm going to put my house on the market and you need to sell it. Well, in 13 days, he sold my house for more than asking. So I thought, okay, well, I guess this train's moving. I guess I'm heading to a new place. And I just thought God would be more of a grown up and like give me a job first. I moved in with, with a friend and rented a room from her. I had a daughter in college and I just thought, okay, I'll find a job. But that's not what he did. He just one day, I was actually heard the, the gospel and Jesus looked at them and saw the, the crowd that they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd as he said, go. And believe me, my younger brothers laughed and said, we never thought you would move back, be the one to move back home with the folks. I moved in. People asked me, I, I mean, I was being groomed for the equivalent of a partnership. I was making the very big bucks and to go into a non-Christian company and say, believe me, my boss was very angry when I gave notice. He's like, what? We have been working with you for 18 months to develop you for this business unit. And I remember saying, I was just in, I just felt the presence of God with me and literally like he opened my mouth and spoke. And I said, we don't talk about this around our conference table, but I love Jesus. He's calling me and I'm going to obey him. And my boss, a most seemingly unchristian man, he looked at me, full. Of, he was full of anger. And as he heard this, his chin started quivering and tears came to his eyes. And he said, I want to hear Jesus like you hear Jesus. I did not see that coming. Wow. So even in that obedience, there was that grace. But um, it was really, people asked me, what if you've got it wrong? You know, I didn't know I didn't have a job. I didn't know why I was coming here. Was it for ministry? I just was a thousand percent certain I was supposed to come down here. And I said, I don't think I can get it wrong. If I'm doing it by faith, he'll guide. If my, my ships, if I put my hand on the rudder and set out, his wind will fill my sail. 
Yeah, I've seen that over and over again in my life too. You know, the Lord directs our steps. And as long as we step out, our foot is going to hit the right place. Amen. I mean, if we're walking in disobedience, that's right. not the case. Right. But if I truly want to obey God and our heart is after him, he won't let us down the wrong path. This was a first in my life. I had never done anything like this. And I was so sure of him. So sure of not what people would say. So, so what kind of job are you looking for? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> but I knew that he was calling me. I have since met many people of faith that make these decisions all the time. But for me, it was a new frontier. So you entered into a very joyful season in life. You were in a new place. You really didn't, your bearings were totally different. You mm -hmm. were without a job, without a home, but but you started seeing God moving in miraculous ways for you. I mean, you had words of mm -hmm. coming a prophecy from people you didn't know, right. just confirming. So share about that joyful season where mm. God just overwhelmed you with his love. Mm. He did. And I remember the first day when I came down here, I just thought, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm now here. And I went and sat on the beach with my journal it's, I made a list of what are the things that I know that I know that you've said. And, and really in my life, there were like seven things. And I just said, I'm just going to wait for you to speak. And there were, there were, it was just joyful. The, the Lord kept giving me a message of just stay connected to the vine, just stay connected to the vine. I was unemployed for seven months. Uh, I, I, my savings were just about down to the end. And, um, and then the Lord brought two job offers in 24 hours and I got a house that I shouldn't have been able to afford. It was just like after what seemed like waiting, suddenly all these things were happening. And before I left, I had um, up in Northern Virginia, I'd learned of two places an hour and 15 minutes apart. This church that wasn't in my denomination that uh, somebody said, we, I really think you should check out this church. And also um, I've just loved prayer and going on retreats and silent retreats. And I was, I was looking to see, I wonder if there's any retreat centers down there. I don't know. And I found this old monastery that was being used by a bunch of churches an hour and 15 minutes away. Well, those were the two places I heard about before I came and in going to both. And I ended in both places meeting the man that would become my future husband. So um, I got, I never thought I would marry again, but it was a sweet season of this time having courtship um, and marriage to a very godly man, even more healing in my life, in his life. Um, he had never married. So it was, it was just, he was where I'm serious and performance oriented. He was playful and spontaneous. It just was a midlife gift. I knew Barry. I've known yeah. Barry for many, many years. He was actually one of the first people I met when I came up to go to Regent University uh, for graduate school. He was one of the first people I met. I was trying to study in the library and Barry was there, so I didn't get much studying done because he's very playful. He's walking community. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He knew everybody and everything. But just tell us a little bit about what that did, what Barry, that your relationship with Barry did for you and for mm -hmm. your daughter. And mm -hmm. I love the story that you told of your wedding. I Just mm -hmm. share it with our listeners. Okay. It was really, everything just seemed a little bit larger than life by the time um, we both really felt that we'd been called at this point to just walk singly before the Lord. So this was a lot of like, are you sure <laughs> there's a package on the front step? Are you sure it's for me? He was a, a judge uh, for children. Yeah, just 
an unexpected in every way. And a man of faith, you know, we were talking about these big steps. He had a full scholarship to two different law schools after his undergraduate, but he chose to go to Regent in the very first year before it was even called an accredited law school just by faith. People around him were like, you're crazy. But it was a, a time just of joy. And, uh, and then we did get, after a couple of years, he proposed, we got married. Um, we just said, you know, if you love us, you can come. Don't bring a present. We told our church, you can come join us in the celebration. We didn't know if 50 people would come. And we had 750 people at our wedding. It wow. was just just this beautiful, glorious day. And our daughter, uh, my daughter, but now our daughter, you know, I told you that after divorce, there was just a lot of hurt that she had to work through. And she also had, you know, her own path to walk. And at that point, she was not, absolutely was not walking with the Lord. But walking down the um, aisle that day, inside her, the ribbon of her bouquet, I had wrapped the scripture that the Lord had saved me with. She didn't know it, but she was holding in her hands, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I'll refresh you. And she met her future husband that day. They are now married with three children, and they met at our wedding. And she actually started experiencing the presence of the Lord as she was walking down the aisle. Yes. She said that she, much later she told us that uh, she encountered the presence of the Holy Spirit. She was ugly crying that day and everybody in the sanctuary saw it. She just was like sobbing up there as the beauty of the Lord and the, and the, the reality of his goodness hit her. She was still in college within nine months. She gave her life to the Lord. She called us and she asked Barry to go through the prayer with her on the phone through Skype. Then she moved in with us for a year. She called it the golden year of just, I think that this man, Barry, who never married and really wanted to be a father. Um, and for her with a dad, with his own issues, her biological dad never really was fathered in this way, but the Lord just redeemed everything and gave them both that. And I got to just be there watching this, being mm. enjoying it, but watching them, the Lord satisfy something in only ways that he could do. During that time, you're now happily married and your career took a turn too. I mean, God called you into a whole new realm, another altar along your journey that was very fruitful. Explain how that happened and what you actually ended up doing. Yes. Um, so I was working with a consulting firm down here. We're newly married and, um, He's on the bench and uh, a friend of ours had coffee with Barry one day and, and he was the chairman of a board of a local pregnancy center. And he said, we're looking for a new executive director and we need somebody like Kimberly, but not sure she would do it. And Barry said, well, you need to talk to her. And so because I wanted to honor this man and the executive director, I drove over that day just saying, God, this is a bad idea. Have you not noticed I'm conflict avoidant? I'm newly married. People get really uh, worked up over this whole, you know, life and abortion issue. And I'm glad that the Bible is full of reluctant leaders because um, I went over just saying, I'll honor them. And then we're going to be done with this, right, Lord? I didn't really even think about, and what the chairman certainly didn't know is that for two years, uh, even through our courtship, Barry and I had been meeting and praying for Hampton Roads every week. And it, through no nobility on my part, we met on a certain day to pray. I, I think we were praying for the mentally ill of Hampton Roads, but I had a class. I had a graduate class and I couldn't make it that day. So we switched to Thursdays. And so we started praying for the ending of abortion in Hampton Roads. And for two years, every week, I prayed that. I really didn't know anything about pregnancy centers, but the Lord knew. 
And we actually met in that coffee shop to talk about this on the National Day of Prayer. The Lord's so funny. And I was pierced. And mm. that was history. It's just uh, cut my salary by 50%. I, I was telling you, I feel like since I started walking with the Lord, my, my income has decreased. The joy and the satisfaction of what I get to partner where I see him moving has just in a manifold way increased. I often hear people say, you know, when you pray about something, you got to be prepared to be the answer to your prayer. And God really I called, know. God called you into that. He took your prayers literally. I know. I look back. I mean, I walked in, I had that meeting with them and I, I'd asked a question about, well, how many other centers are, are doing what you're doing in this area? And they said, none. And I asked how many children in the past year have been placed, you know, in an adoption plan? And they said, none. And then after that, you know, that we, I walked in, Barry was at a, a National Day of Prayer meeting. And when I walked onto the field where they were to join him after this interview, there was somebody up on the platform praying for the unborn. And that night we had Mexican food and he said, your voice is different. One year later on the National Day of Prayer, I was in the Coliseum in Hampton praying for the unborn, you know, in front of all those people, just something you can't see coming. It was the best job I've ever had. Mm. It was just wonderful. And then out of the blue came another altar. Yeah. Uh, the biggest one of all, really. And what happened and how did you get through it? Because mm. this was a hard altar. This one was. You were saying something about being a living sacrifice. And the problem with living sacrifices is they keep trying to crawl off the altar. And uh, yeah, after uh, almost five years of marriage, um, Barry went to work on a Friday and he'd had a dry cough for a little while and he was tired, but he'd had a lot of work and I'd finally convinced him to go to urgent care. And they said, you know, we need to take an ultrasound. We kind of see something in your neck. And that night, that Friday, he'd said, you know, he tried to walk some visitors, some government visitors to the car. And he said, I feel like I almost died in the parking lot. And the, the ENT called us that night and said, don't take that cough medicine I prescribed. I think you might have cancer. And the very next day, a pain occurred that had never happened and dropped him to his knees. We went to the hospital and we were in ICU and they said, you may not live through the weekend. It was that sudden. He had a 10 centimeter uh, tumor in his crushing his trachea. And it turned out that, uh, that this altar was this joyful, vibrant man, um, 52 years old at the time of diagnosis, full of life, had a rare cancer that apparently is one of the most aggressive ones. The cells double in size every 24 hours. Um, our life changed. The doctors told us most chemo is dropped on a person like at 40,000 feet. If you can imagine, we're going to put you in ICU because we're going to drop it off on you at five feet. And they literally would put the, the chemo in him and then 20 and let it sit and 24 hours later, give the antidote to flush it out of the system. So it wouldn't kill him. You know, he made it seven months before the Lord called him home. When I'm an introvert, I'm a learned extrovert. Barry was a jazz hands extrovert. Mm -hmm. He just, like you said, even in a library, we could be someplace for 30 seconds and he'd meet somebody and they'd feel like, you know, he was a lifelong friend. And when we started dating and getting to know each other, I just thought Barry wanted to do everything together. He said, we've waited this long. Let's minister together. Let's go to bed around the same time. Let's like live life together. And I was thinking, wow, I'm going to need some introvert space. I learned to be introverted with him. And after the Lord took him home, I thought, wow, Lord, 
you knew this was going to happen. And so as a result, we lived a lifetime in seven years, Mm. really. But these sacrifices, if you will, these places of releasing things, doesn't mean that you want to release them. You just don't want it to end. It's a good chapter, like a good chapter in a book. You don't want it to end. Yeah. You know, friends, there are widows and orphans all over the world who have special needs that that we as a company of women can meet together. Would you consider joining us with a special gift to help them? Just go to hergodstory.org and click on the widow and orphan tab at the top of the page. Um, Kimberly, it's been five years now since Mm -hmm. Barry went to be with the Lord and God has not led you where you expected. Mm -hmm. It seems like he never does with you, Mm -hmm. does he? Or really with any Any of of us. us. (laughs) (laughs) Through the grief and the healing, because that's a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, God has taken you down a different path. Can you share a bit about this past season and what God's been doing in you and teaching you? Mm -hmm. And you know, in the five years, even as you're asking this, the five years aren't all equal. Like, you know, that grief in the beginning is raw hamburger. Like, you know, just the heaviness that I remember one of the first nights I went to a grocery store after Barry had died and putting my groceries in the backside of the passenger seat in the dark in the night in the parking lot and just saying to the Lord, I think you have mistaken me for someone who's strong, but he was there. So what he's been doing has been different and even the different, and it still is even in, in, in this past bit of time. So the grieving the going through it head on, the healing. Barry had a very savage illness and death, even to the last hours. And there was really PTSD with that. Mm. And when you're a caregiver, and if people are listening, you know, that identify with this, you're so focused on caring for your beloved that there's a time after that even just to heal and to rest and and that you you probably haven't been taking for yourself. So all of that was in there. And and during, you know, of course, my ministry, the pregnancy center, the board had been so wonderful saying, stay at Barry's bed. So they had, the, the my staff had taken on all these executive responsibilities. So I, I went back very quickly because they'd already given me this time. And it was a soft landing place. They let me cry when I needed to. And I would come home and say, Lord, I just, I don't think I can do this. In every direction, from something on the radio in the car to I remember somebody's daughter, I asked her, what verse did you learn at Christian school today? She would give me the same verse of Ephesians 6, that after you put on the armor, after you've done everything else, then stand. I kept getting that from the Lord. It's like, okay, I'll stand, but you've got to hold me up. And then there was a day where he released me and I asked for, for confirmation You know, I said, I need two or three witnesses in 24 hours. You can't just walk away from this battleship of what we were doing. And he sent it. This is releasing you from From my responsibility at CareNet. At CareNet. I worked another 15 months after Barry's death. I didn't completely know what the Lord was doing. I figured it was a time for healing and then, you know, go back to work. I want to say too, I wrote this down. I just want to share it. One of the, one of the most beautiful stories things that the Lord spoke to me was out of Psalm 84 verse three during those early years, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord almighty, my King and my God. There was such a tenderness of the Lord during that time through the standing and working through the release. He's been so close 
I just want to say, God is shockingly good. And even when Barry was sick, we cried out to him. We pleaded for Barry's life and we felt his goodness. And there was one time where I was just frustrated. The nurses were wonderful. They nurses do all the work, people of the <laughs> in and out, but they were overworked and they couldn't get there. And Barry was in pain. And I, I just prayed out loud, Lord, don't you see your son needs you? And he said, honey, he's on our side. He's our friend. So I just want to encourage people that even the sparrow has found a home at his altar. I stepped down and the Lord provided grace. He just, again, prophetically told me in advance. And I shared with the chairman of the board, the Lord has said, this is going to happen. There's going to be a man is my replacement. And that actually for the first time in 36 years of the history of that ministry is exactly what happened. So the Lord was kind to show me that he had it in that time where I thought, I guess there's always going to be, Lord, have mercy, this performance orientation. Uh, one of the first things after I, you know, had stepped down from this role and when you're doing things, even in the kingdom, I'm going to be honest, it can be heady. You're in the fight. You're fighting for something good. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Um, and when I stepped down, it's like, okay, what do you want me to know? And one of the first things the Lord said to me was, I don't, I don't need your results. I don't need your title. And I was a little bit like Peter <laughs> saying, a little offended, like, Lord, I, I know that. Do you think I was performing over there? I don't know how the Lord talks to you. He said it to me gently, but he really spoke to me on this for about 18 months. I thought, I thought, well, you've already healed me on this. You've already delivered. You let me hit the wall at 200 miles per hour. But something needed to sink all the way into my heart. And I would run into people and they'd say, what are you doing now? I'd say, nothing. I didn't know what to answer. Well, I know you'll do great things one day. And what the Lord started showing me is that whenever Jesus points to the kingdom, he held up small things, mm. a seed, a pearl, a field, a woman sweeping for two coins. And I really felt there were job offers that came and I felt like the Lord would bless me if I took them. But he was saying, why don't you let me provide for you? And that he told me he was pleased with my time in prayer, my private ministry to him, the ministry to my family. My dad went also walked through cancer and, and died a year ago. And that I really felt his pleasure, you know, just what he, the work he was doing in my heart. So God's now started opening some new doors of ministry, not at all what you thought they would be. No. Um, so what has he invited you into? Well, again, you know, like we were just saying here, you might become the answer to your prayer. The Lord might be changing your own heart in prayer. During COVID, I looked back at my journals end to end and read them chronologically. I'd never done that before. And I realized, wow, I just thought this place of prayer had been things in recent years. But soon after I was saved, I wrote in my journal, I feel like this verse I have appointed you as a watchman on the wall has to do with me. And I don't even know what it means. And I was like, wow, you were calling me into this even then. Another thing in that quiet time after stepping down from full-time ministry, besides saying, I don't need your titles or your results. In other words, he was saying that. I want to make sure that people know he was saying it in a kind way, like I'm sufficient just rest in me. One day, you know, my husband and I had done teaching on hearing the voice of God and prophetic ministry. And one day in my quiet time, I didn't expect it. The Lord said, you think you're mature in the prophetic, but you're up to your ankles. 
And I knew that he was talking about the water in Ezekiel 47 that the prophet saw coming out of the temple. And he said, I'm willing to take you deeper. Are you willing to be a beginner? So I said, of course, yes. So I'm in a season of being a beginner and hearing the voice of God and wanting to be like Jesus, only saying what the Father says. And as I've gone literally smaller and lower in my own prayer closet, he has invited me in, ironically enough, to that very place. Almost a year ago, some friends that we met in a country over in the 1040 window, um, this American pastor couple that had been in this country for over 26 years, um, the pastor was imprisoned for over two years on trumped up charges of terrorism. It was about his faith during the Trump administration and through a lot of prayer. I mean, he was in international headlines. He was released. And they are now doing a work of equipping pastors in the 1040 window. And they've invited me to be going to these countries for the purpose of praying with these pastors and their wives. There's not a thing I can do to be high performing at it. There's nothing I can do. Isn't this God so funny? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing I can do to prepare except just to ask the Lord to tenderize my own heart. I've made two trips. There's already three scheduled internationally for next year. Uh, We just got back from ministering to uh, pastors and, and, and Christians from Kosovo who've been through so much trauma. Mm. He's just taking me to new levels of freedom. And again, you know, it's something that I can't even really talk that much about because it's uh, a lot of the places are in not secure places to go. Yeah, Isn't that just like the Lord? Well, it is. And you know, Kimberly, I think that God has taken you through some hard times because he's, you're ministering now to people who live in hard places mm-hmm. and you well, you can't sympathize with everything they've gone through. You can mm-hmm. empathize with the sacrifices that the Lord has called them to in mm-hmm. the places they've lived. Yeah. And very few people can do that. Mm-hmm. So, In places where women are often not seen. Yeah. And I can look at all the things in my spiritual backpack of being alone in a marriage, of being widowed, of um, trusting God. And I can see how he led me to a place of just this battle for life is such a war zone in the spiritual realm. Mm. And yet, you know, I think that was even preparing me for this battlefield of Islam. So, yes, it's glorious. I am so excited. I am like the happiest beginner there's ever been. <laughs> I, I just want to learn. And I think each trip I walk somehow both in more confidence and this hunger and thirst to know him more, to, to move with Jesus' compassion. When you see people just being set free through forgiveness of realizing that they're sons, not orphans. Um, you know, we are very spoiled here in the West that we have teaching and Bibles at every corner. But a lot of people in Kosovo, there's like 500 believers. Mm. And we had 40 of them in this meeting. They don't have all the resources we have. They're faithful. Most of them are Muslim background. And just to come to bring the truth of these quote unquote simple things that here I've spent all this time telling you how the Lord's taken a whole lifetime to teach me the simple things about release, surrender, forgiveness, healing. Um, Yes, he's now inviting me in to share what I know or just share what I've seen. So in all that you lived through, What has surprised you most about God? Like I said before, that he's shockingly good. I remember 
about maybe 10 days in after that, that day that I told you about when we were in the hospital and he made it through the first weekend, they got a trach. They had to call in a specialist just to even get an airway for my husband. And I'm crying. I'm literally weeping. I'm crying out. We're scared. And there was a devotion that somebody had put in our hand. I think it's called uh, Prayers on Fire. And we turned the page and I felt like the Lord was just turning the pages of our lives. And that day, like day 10, it said something, I'm paraphrasing, but it said, Lord, I don't want to be the person that only calls out from the bottom of the well and says, rescue me, but I want to know what you want to teach me. And it just struck me. Oh my goodness, Lord, we're 10 days in. My conversation's been one way. It's not been conversation. It's been one way, appropriate cries. But is there something you would like for me to know right now? He didn't give us superhero strength. I just found that we just kept walking our faith walk. And supernaturally, I just felt like he was rock under our feet. And he's shockingly good. There would be moments where I'd think, you don't need to encourage me like you're encouraging me. I got it. But he still rushed in. Mm. And in the most, um, I don't even have an adjective for the grief and the fear in those moments. He, his goodness and his presence was, was with us. At beginning of this year, I was reading through Psalm 119 and I came across verse 68 and it said, God is good and everything he does is good. Mm. And I just felt like the Lord was saying this, I'm going to teach you this year Mm. and all year long. I mean, that, that, and and that's one of the things that I've always said, God is good. You know, God is Mm -hmm. good. I've never doubted that, but in a new way this Mm -hmm. year, he wanted me to know that he was good. And I went through cancer this year, Mm -hmm. very, very mild, very easy cancer. Mm -hmm. No, no, um, there's no easy cancer. Well, I mean, compared to, Mm -hmm. compared to others, but in it all, God's goodness was in it all. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we think, that the goodness of God means there are no trials. There are no tribulations. There's only skipping through fields of flowers, Mm -hmm. but that's not at all what it is. God's goodness is solid and carries us through Mm -hmm. no matter what is going on circumstantially around us. Mm -hmm. Amen. There's a story. I don't know who told this story years ago, but imagine you're down, you're looking up a cliff and there's a tightrope and you see a guy, you all watch as he walks across And they say, do you think he can do it again? Yes, we do. And then he walks across with the wheelbarrow. Do you think he can do that again? Yes, we do. We're clapping. They say, okay, then get in the wheelbarrow. And it's different when you're in the wheelbarrow with the guy going across the tightrope. Yeah. And I think these diagnoses, these moments, but that's when we know in a different way, you really are good. Or we know in a different way, oh yeah, I actually am really free. I can't do a thing to earn your love. There's something about being in the wheelbarrow in a very scary situation that that makes it more alive for us. So there are so many amazing women in the Bible. Is there one whose story has inspired, encouraged, taught you something? And how does her story relate to yours? There is. And it's a perfect season for it too, that we're recording this. Anna. In Luke 2, it says, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I just so identify. I had my husband for seven years, two years of courtship, five years of marriage. Night and day prayer is our primary love. And 
she wanted to speak to who she saw, the face of Jesus, with a community that was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And my prayer has just been, Lord, and I got to see your face for real mm. the first time. Mm, Would you did. let me see your face for real here on earth the second time? Either way, I will get to see his face. But yeah, she is a great, her faithfulness to be in community, to fast and pray, to worship, that even even Simeon, um, who came and saw Jesus, I don't think they called him a prophet, that she was someone full of the testimony of Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus at that point. She saw his face and knew, and I know his redemption in my life too. Well, Kimberly mentioned the Lord inviting her to go deeper with him. In Ezekiel 47, the prophet tells of a vision that the Lord showed him of a flowing river that gets deeper and deeper, and it's a river of healing. Verse 9 says, life will flourish wherever this water flows. As Kimberly has worshipped the Lord at the various altars in her life, he's brought her to. His healing waters have flown in and through her life. You can have that too as you surrender more and more to the Lord. It may not be easy, but it is worth it. Kimberly, would you take a moment and pray for everyone who listens to this podcast? Yes. Oh, thank you, Father, for your living water that's that's just ours through Jesus. I thank you that you are a good Father. You do not scrub us of our sins with a wire brush, but your living water cleanses the abraded places of our hearts, and you bring healing. And I bless, I bless every hearer, Lord, that your living water will trickle down to the lowest eddies, the, the places even enclosed by rocks. You will get there. You cannot be kept out of any ICU room, out of any proud heart, out of any conference room. Come, Holy Spirit, come with your living water and heal us. We want to know you more. We thank you that you satisfy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. In our show notes at hergodstory.org, you'll find links to scriptures and other helpful information. And don't forget to sign up for periodic emails and download our free six-week devotional on women of the Bible. It's a great way to start your year. If you haven't done so already, we also invite you to join the growing company of women who support widows and orphans with us. You can do that at hergodstory.org by clicking on the Widows and Orphan Fund. And we'd love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer and text line. You can give us a call or text anytime at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on your favorite streaming service and share it with friends who might enjoy it as well. And now, dear friends, I leave you with the blessing adapted from Psalm 20, verses 1 through 5. In times of trouble, may the Lord answer your cry. May the name of the God of Jacob keep you safe from all harm. May he send you help from his sanctuary and strengthen you from Jerusalem. May he remember all your gifts and look favorably on your burnt offerings. May he grant you your heart's desire and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. May the Lord answer all your prayers. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.